Hi, this is Jay Cook, and welcome back to another episode of Maristem, a podcast about the ways we grow and change. We're spending another episode talking about one of our favorite episodes of a podcast. Today, I'm joined by Debbie Cook, a teacher in the North Carolina Community College System, and more importantly, my mom. We've exchanged plenty of podcasts over the years and love to talk about it, so I figured it'd be natural to to just do it into a microphone. Um, Today, we're talking about an episode from one of the most listened podcasts on the internet, This American Life. Um, We both really enjoyed episode number 682, titled 10 Sessions, and we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, It's a documentary-style podcast episode, and it's recorded and hosted by Jamie Lowe. I hope that's pronouncing that correctly. Um, And she's going to 10 sessions of cognitive processing therapy um, and recording her and her therapist. uh, And she's doing it to treat symptoms of PTSD related to a sexual assault from her childhood. Um, And as always, as a This American Life podcast, it's really well produced and well done and um, interesting. Um, But we found this one particularly interesting. So we're going to be talking about that today. Um, I've kind of pulled out a few themes that maybe will structure our discussion um, one of them is growth and change, which is something we talk about a lot here on this podcast. Um, this woman is going to a counselor for the purpose of experiencing change. Um, and then they talk about stuck points. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a second, but that's a term that I hadn't heard before this podcast. And uh, it's a very interesting way to think about um, what she's going through. And then the third is belief and how much a belief has affected this girl's life and how much it is important in that counseling process and maybe what it has to say for us. So, um, mom, thank you for listening to the podcast and taking some notes and agreeing to do this. Um, just in general, what did you, do you have any kind of overall thoughts about the podcast? What, what was interesting to you about it? Well, I thought it was interesting on the level of just hearing somebody's story. That's always powerful to me, to hear somebody's real-life story. But also the number of ways that I could apply what she was learning in her cognitive processing therapy to places where I've gotten stuck or places where I need enlightenment or places where I think the Christian community can, um, can impact another person's brokenness. Yeah. And to be clear, this is a girl who is not a Christian. She doesn't express any kind of faith or neither the counselor. This is not Christian counseling. She's a licensed counselor. Um, But there were a lot of faith kind of themes in there. I I definitely heard a lot of that too. So I'm interested in that too. I I think uh, one of the things we talk about at the end of the Maristim podcast review kind of episode is what are we going to take away from this? Like what is going to stick with us? You know, Mm. podcasts are so... uh, disposable it can be easy to not i mean you know say that's really interesting and good and powerful but you don't ever think about it again or use it well and i think a lot of christian truth is smuggled in to good counseling and to good books and to good life stories you know and it's not so important that you ferret out where the truth is as just to be able to make it relatable and she made it very relatable it's true Let's talk about growth and change. So this girl is going to 10 sessions in a row. She, she mentioned that it was very expensive therapy. I know. Um, it seems like it's very intense therapy. And it's, uh, it's basically she's taking a whole couple of weeks um, or it might even been a couple of months. Uh, and she was in, was it Seattle? Oh, it was California. Are you sure? No. <laughs> I remember talking about the rain and, and the clouds and then the last maybe, day. It was, maybe. I, I think it might have been Seattle. But e- either way. 
she's in a different city than where she lives and spending that there just doing this therapy and a lot of homework and that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the incident happened in California. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. And uh, so the incident is she was sexually assaulted as a little girl. Um, and as a result of that, went through some mental health issues that seemed uh, secondarily traumatic. You know, the the initial sexual assault was obviously traumatic, but then some of the result of how that affected her, I think was also traumatic. And she's coming to counseling to talk to a counselor about how do I, how do I deal with some of the ways that I'm feeling anxiety and hurt and depression? And she, she mentioned one in particular reason that made her think that she needed to to pursue more counseling, which was uh, hearing about sexual assault on the news. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. And just that taking her out of society for a couple of days, like that would be that, affecting to her that she felt like she couldn't leave the house for a couple of days after Mm -hmm. even just hearing about it on the news. And she said she realized that that must be related to this and wanted to, to deal with it. And I think that's really interesting. One that she wasn't, was not aware of how much it was affecting her life. Mm -hmm. And then two, it took something that dramatic for her to say, I I need some change. I want to, I want to pursue change. Um, and so she did something dramatic about it. She went to this counseling. Um, so did anything in particular stand out to you about, about her relationship with the counselor and, and the ways that they kind of pursued that change? Um, well, I, it was interesting to me that she had to get to a level of trust, even with the counselor, even though she was paying big money to do mm-hmm. this before she could really share her story with her. And I think that's pretty typical of traumatic events. Um, but in terms of growth and change, it really reinforced for me the idea that children are keen observers but poor interpreters. Mm-hmm. And so when we acquire adult coping mechanisms, we look back on childhood events and superimpose those adult coping mechanisms onto our childhood. We think we should have done better. We think Mm. we should have done what we would now do as adults. So there were ways that she could have reacted screaming or, you know, hollering for help that she felt responsible for not doing when in fact she took care of herself the best she could, Mm -hmm. you know, in that Mm -hmm. situation. So, Growth and change means a lot of times, or the growth and change point to me is that it is ungracious of us almost to impose our adult coping mechanisms on our childhood behavior. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And that we're not even showing grace to ourselves when we do that. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So in counseling, I see this a lot too of the present person interpreting the past person, even as the same person, but the present person interpreting the past person's choices in ways that just are really unfair Mm -hmm. and slanted in a way that often goes against your own self-worth and your own, Mm -hmm. uh, and she had a lot of the, a lot of those places where she had really judged herself harshly for the ways that she had acted in that situation. Yeah. And you said trust. I really want to go back to that. I think that was a crucial part of this. And you could see how hard that counselor was working at trust. Oh, yeah. You know, listening is a good way to do that. Um, considering where that person might... Like, there was a part of the episode where the um, where Jamie was reading a letter. And I think the letter, the subject of the letter was, why did this happen to me? And she was trying to explain that through a letter. And it was very hard for her. Uh and she gets through the letter, and it was 
as a counselor, I'm hearing that and I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm excited because I think she had broken through into some truth. Like I think it was like, Oh, now, now we can move on to the next steps and get to where you can start to examine some of this stuff and work through some of this. And that, and her counselor didn't do that. She had, she moved very slowly and she said, thank you for doing that. And, and then she acknowledged how hard it must've been. And she kind of sat in that a little bit. And I thought that was really well done in building trust and also oh, yeah. acknowledging how, because it's true, the work that she was doing to even read that letter was part of the work that she needed to do. Um, so stuff like that is so relational in counseling or so relational when it comes to change, you know, that, that you have to have that trust to be able to, to do some of this stuff. Um, and I thought the counselor did an excellent job of that. She did an excellent job, and she had a short time frame. You know, usually building trust takes months, and they had 10 sessions, and they were doing it in right. a two-week period. Right. So, um, and I was surprised at the small things that Jamie indicated reinforced that trust. They did the same things every day when they came in. Mm-hmm. You know, there was mm-hmm. structure to it. She did mention that her presence was kind of like a kindergarten teacher to her mm-hmm. and that, that mm-hmm. made her fear nurtured. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of that's just personality and um, meshing personalities. But um, the other thing was, I think she went slow. She started at the least offensive parts of her story or the least traumatic parts of her story and moved up to it. And, and let her kind of proceed and was cautious about proceeding at her own pace. So those are things that are good counselor skills, but they're also things that we can do. You know, they're also things that we can um, utilize in the Christian community to uh, give, make people feel safe. And I was encouraged to feel like, I, I do think the worksheets were a catalyst to mm-hmm, that too, mm-hmm. and we don't have that usually. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised at how many things had to do with just really listening well and you know kind of weighing in at the same points until the they felt like the person until she felt like she was ready to talk yeah yep I, I totally agree and but you brought the worksheets and I think that's something that you could just sort of say broadly they were systematic and thorough in their examination of what happened to her what she believes about it how it's affected her, you know, and I think that's important. That's like a, that's like a, hey, let's give more than enough time to talk and think and let this breathe, mm-hmm. uh, and to dive into it, you know. And it, it seems like she um, had previously avoided talking about a lot of this stuff, um, which is pretty common with PTSD, and um, avoided avoided facing it herself, even thinking about it herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, which meant that part of the steps to change for her and part of the steps to change in this counseling process was for her to face that. But the counselor also knew that was going to be hard for her. You know, mm-hmm. So she tried to support her as much as she could through that. But also she needed to do that hard work of being honest about what's happened and what she remembers and some of those things, which is interesting. Like I, I think we'll talk plenty about how this applies to our life as Christians or um, just people, but that, if Jesus's truth is good for us and it will set us free, that sh- truth is also going to reveal stuff, you know, that, that that light will shine on dark places that we might've been okay with keeping in the dark, you know, right, right. Uh, you know, to a lesser degree, this is a very difficult process for this girl because of tra- trauma, you know, for us, I think it might be more like sin or, or uh, brokenness inside of ourselves that we don't like to think about, you know, well, it's that, not only that we don't want to bring it out into the light, it's because it gets layered over with 
confirmation bias, maybe. I mean, all those places, when we get to the stuck points, she looked for things that shored up her misconceptions about what happened. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, things that were very, if you bring a little bit of light into it, she could see that it was even illogical to think that way. But up until that point, she had reinforced those places where she was stuck with thoughts that, that made it rational. Well, and while you wouldn't blame her, or you couldn't blame her for not being afraid to be vulnerable with some of these things, you know, you don't, you wouldn't just share this with anybody. Right. However, that lack of vulnerability or that lack of bringing it out into the light protects things like that. Those right. twisted ways of thinking about how we, how we are, and who, what people think of us, and what God thinks of us, which is a twisted process, I guess. And I, I think one of some of Satan's best lies can be to. Nobody, nobody will care about you if you let that out, or right. you'll be rejected if if anybody knows that about you, or whatever it might be. So, or once you latch on to an interpretation of it, letting you stay in that without the light or without any logic being applied to it, because now you're buried, and then you have shame about it, and then there's you're ashamed of being of having shame. You know, it just becomes layered over with these protective um, layers of lies. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, so they, uh, one of the things they start to identify, so we're talking about how they kind of thoroughly went through that story, um, kind of picked apart some of the girl's anxiety about that, and, um, and uh, one of the terms they used was stuck point. So one of the things they identified in there were things she called stuck point. Um, I do cognitive behavior therapy, which is very similar to what this is. Um, and I had always used the term uh, negative core belief. But that, that kind of sounds very <laughs> counselor-y. And uh, I think stuck points are a really interesting way to, to describe the same thing, which a stuck point is basically a belief that you have about yourself that doesn't align with reality or, or, or evidence that you might have to the contrary. Um, so for this girl, the first one they sort of examined was... She believed if, um, what was the first one she kind of talked about? Do you remember? That was it related she helped to, to cause the event. Yeah, that somehow waving to this guy and being friendly to him and wearing the wrong kind of shorts somehow contributed to hit this assault. That yeah. was one of her That it was her, her fault. Yeah, that it was her fault. That she had cause in it, which is a victim mentality. You know, uh-huh. I think she said, if I hadn't waved, it wouldn't have happened. It was like one that they kind of really zeroed in on. Uh, Evidently, as a little girl, she had waved at this this guy who sexually assaulted her. Um, And that's limited to one incident. But what I found became broader is the other stuck points, like I can't trust my own instincts or I can't protect myself in any way. That's pervasive. That Mm -hmm. you know, and and it affects everything you do. There's like a a tree of stuck points almost. They're kind of related to each other. Were any of those stuck points ones that you identified with that you felt like maybe I'm stuck there too? Um, I didn't. I don't know that I thought about it that way, but I do identify with the. I do identify with the feeling of I have these beliefs about myself that come out sometimes or they affect my behavior that I'm like, I don't, I must really believe that. And I don't know why I do, you know, I, I must really, um, it, that must be kind of deeper in, in, and it's something that I didn't expect to come out. And, and it's, I think it's related to what we're talking about here where she, she would say, um, 
you know, I saw this sexual assault stuff on the news and it affected me for two straight days. I wouldn't have expected that. You know, it was almost mm-hmm. like it's different than I thought I was or, or something like that. It's almost like these things can be hidden inside of me. How, how about you? Did, did some things Yeah, happen? when she said um, one of her stuck points was she minimized it. Um, it could have been worse, so I should be doing better. I think because my childhood was almost idyllic and there were lots of rosy patches that um, I shouldn't be reacting to anything in my childhood. And that's a, you know, that's just not true. It was, you know, the things that happened to me that may be minimal compared to being abused or, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. having starvation threaten you every day still were things that disturbed my childhood. And um, I think it's worth going back and looking at them and, and just asking myself, is that a place where I'm stuck? Is that mm. something that um, that I've minimized and saying, well, because it's not drastic, then I shouldn't have any issues with it, when it's obvious that I kind of do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think you could take that stuck point conversation they were having and the work that they were doing and say that it was really a sort of a battle between truth and lies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like I think, I think about that little girl that went through what that little girl went through and her to say, if I hadn't a wave, that wouldn't happen. And you imagine being that little girl's father or friend or right. uncle, you know, just, and what you would say to that, that's, that is a lie. That's not just, Oh, I think you're not right about that. That's a lie. You know what I mean? Like I that is the uh, destructive, right? Um, and I think she had a lot of those about that event. Yeah. That. Um, and like I said, she shored those up unconsciously. The longer she believed it, the more embedded it became. It became when you tell your story to yourself a certain way over and over, it becomes your truth. Right. And it became her truth, which really. Um, Attacked her self-esteem, her mm-hmm, ability mm-hmm. to trust herself. Yeah, let's talk about that. What what ways did she discuss how that those distorted beliefs, which is uh, another way to describe it, but what ways did those seem to have affected her life? Do you think? Well, I think she felt like unless she controlled things, she couldn't be protected. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She had to be in complete control uh-huh. in a really extreme way. What was the what was the area of control that she was talking about. I can't remember that. I just remember how easy it was for her counselor to say, have there been times when you've been in control and you still weren't protected? Which you mm. would think that's mm. a negative mm. way to attack that, mm. but she was just showing there were holes in that logic. Right, right. And so many times just poking little holes in our logic can bring light in. And it was powerful to see that. Yeah, it was like she she didn't want to admit that it was out of her control. Right. Because if she admitted it was out of her control, it could happen again. But to be able to tell herself the story that she was in control, she had to say it was her fault. That's nice. Which is, man, what a twisted thing that for her to carry the burden of feeling like it was her fault. And also feeling like she really couldn't protect herself, which, you know, she carried that around with her. That's bound to have affected Mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. she goes into new situations and handles new cities and um, adventures. You know, she carried that with her. um, When in fact, 
if you don't impose adult responsibility on the way she responded, she did everything she could to protect herself. She really did quite well. I mean, she had a knife at her, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. um, she didn't scream, which she criticized herself for later. But she she did what she needed to do to survive, which was pretty amazing, given her circumstances. And she'd never seen it as noble or or the right thing to do. She'd always seen it as a um, a really substandard response and, and something that contributed to the whole um, fiasco. Mm. And um, I thought that was a turning point to me when she began to see not just this is not this is illogical, but you did well in that situation. Yeah. That was healing. Yeah, yeah. She, I think if I remember correctly, in the episode, she got really emotional when the counselor kind of confronted her. Oh that yeah, way. yeah. And just she, sort of well, said, anytime you mentioned the word knife, you know, when she thought mm, about mm. recreated the event and thought mm. about the knife, and um, she realized she was just scared out of her wits that the fact that she was behaving rationally at all was a good a good thing and also and expect expecting a little girl to feel anything different in that situation is right irrational. and i remember that at that point the counselor said what do you expect what did you expect him to do and i expected her to say i thought he was going to kill me but she didn't say that she said i didn't know i didn't have you know she had no point of reference mm-hmm. and i think that can be more paralyzing mm-hmm. and more crippling mm-hmm. than thinking the wrong thing or, you know, going to the wrong place. It was, that was what. Mm, that's really, <coughs> that is really interesting because that, because we have a lot of moments in our life where we don't know what's going to happen. But it's almost, like, but they're mostly less, almost all of the time, they're going to be less uh, right. violent and uh, potential for violence than that moment. But for her, that moment of violence had kind of colored all this other unknown in her life. Right. In that, that violence kind of, in some ways, might be creeping around the corner, or you know, waiting for her around the corner at any of those kind of moments where you don't know what's going to happen, or uh, which I think is a good description for how something like that can affect all parts of your life, not just right. relationships, or you know, not just one silo of your life. It actually can be pervasive. Um, or, and I think if we pull that out for us too, I think. Lies that you believe can can really be pervasive and, and change how you behave and think about in all kinds of places in your life, not just one area. Right. And I think we carry that into adulthood, too. If we don't know what to do, we either feel paralyzed or crippled rather than just admitting, I don't know what to do yeah, <laughs> in yeah. this situation. Right. That, that, if that, as if that in itself is a vice or if mm. that in itself mm. is, um, you know, something we should try to improve. Sometimes it just needs to be admitted. Yeah. Well, and I think she was so, uh, I don't know. I I keep talking about her like she's a little girl, but I felt like it was very brave of her to say, for me to admit that makes me feel more helpless. Mm -hmm. For me Mm -hmm. to admit that I wasn't in control makes me feel more helpless now. You know, Uh, it's like, man, that's so true. You know, that's, that's part of why we feel motivated to not, admit that or why she felt motivated not to do that for some reason that made me think of um, a verse in Chronicles where one of the kings said Lord we have no might against this army that's coming against us and neither do we know what to do but our eyes are on you and I think we can learn from that that there will be times when we don't know what to do and that should be a cue to just turn our eyes back back to God who Mm. does know what to do or who does know how this is going to turn out 
and who is going to use it redemptively no matter what happens. Um, a couple of quick points that I pulled out were when I, my, in my mind, I was sort of asking the question, how does growth happen or how does change happen? Um, and a couple of points that I pulled out that I thought were interesting was that the counselor seemed to be working very hard and was being very careful to let, to guide, but to let her Jamie come to the solution herself mm-hmm. to not just say, here's what you need to do. or Here's what's wrong with you. Or here's what is the right thing to do. And she didn't even say, here's how you should think about it. She just gave her alternative mm-hmm. ways of seeing mm-hmm. it that allowed her reframe it. And a lot of those she asked as a question, too. She mm-hmm. didn't say, this is what it is. She sort of said, is it possible, is it possible that? that this is true? Or do you, is, well, you is it, it possible that if he you hadn't waved at him, he would have still assaulted you? That's right. Which is so um, hard to do when you're talking to somebody and they're being vulnerable about something that they're going through or they're being vulnerable about something they're struggling with. It's hard to say, to not say, well, here's what I think about that. Or here's what I think is true or not true about that. But to listen and ask good questions and let it work itself out and maybe offer some input, but really let the, let the relationship be what, motivates that person to change or helps them come to a conclusion, which I sometimes I can feel when I'm doing counseling, I, I think about that a lot because I'm very tempted to just sort of say, this is what, I, I mean, I, sometimes it feels very obvious. This is what's wrong. You know what I mean? And this is what you should do. Um, but from experience, I've learned that that is not very helpful for someone, even if you are 100% right, mm-hmm. which is, can be frustrating and it can be very hard to pause and kind of slow yourself down. But the reason that that is true, or it's not even reason that that's true. It's just that the reason that that is effective is people are more motivated to change and have more opportunity to change when they have that trust, when they have that, Mm -hmm. that feeling that I've been listened to and that this person cares about me and that this person is, um, safe and that kind of stuff. And so, um, that's part of what that counselor was doing. I thought it was really well done. I mean, you can tell she's very skilled. Well, and that's one of those things we can be for each other again. You know, we can say, not this is how I think you should feel or this you shouldn't feel that way, which because feelings are feelings. But you can say, I see that differently. You know, or there, this is a different way of looking at that, that that in itself is powerful. Have you ever thought about, thought about it this way, you know, interpreting mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. this way? And that nudges them to, I mean, because all of the thoughts that the counselor interjected were thoughts that she'd never had. She yeah. never thought to challenge her misconceptions yeah. about why this happened and how she contributed to it and how it shouldn't be as big a deal to her as it happened to be. Um, you know, and I think we get all tangled up in those misconceptions and just a little bit of fresh air mm-hmm. of saying, have you have you thought about it looking this way? You know, yeah. I see it differently. Right. I just I see it differently is a powerful statement. Or I think I think you might want to look at it this way. Or even just giving her the opportunity to say it out loud in some yeah. ways too. I thought was yeah. so. Um, I I just thought those were important elements of of change or or growth for this. Uh, situation. Um, I, I think it was important that they examined kind of roadblocks or distortions of truth. Those were the stuck points that they really spent time and effort and energy and being very thorough about that. They had these worksheets where they would <clears throat> do something called an ABC uh, exercise where you would record A being the activating event, meaning something happened, it brought up emotion, stress for me, anxiety. Um, B being the belief. What was the belief that is involved in that activating event, feeling very stressful for me. And then C, um, 
what was the consequences of that belief? And so how did that affect my life that I believed that this was true during this event? Um, and so she had multiple ones of those. And then she recorded a percentage of how much she believed it before and how much she believed it at the end of the 10 sessions. I thought that was really interesting that she's using all these kind of very, um, I don't know the best way to say it, but like very clear, almost uh, scientific uh, metrics. methods metrics that's why right. yeah that's what i was thinking of so these very clear metrics of measuring where she was and and measuring change and um so i think that's i want to take away that it's important to be thorough um that's important to be um to to give it plenty of time and space to be able to examine some of that stuff mm -hmm. so. well and again the power of helping someone see if you hold on to this belief how does that impact who you are in the world? How does that impact your behavior? Because she wasn't able to see how much she had shrouded herself and become insular because she felt like she couldn't trust anybody or that she wasn't safe anywhere. She didn't, so just looking at the fact that this has resulted in this behavior was, was a powerful thing too. Yeah. So uh, kind of the third theme was belief. Um, a uh, a stuck point is sorry we got kids in the background we're at the, we're actually at the beach mom and I are here with um, my sister her husband and my wife and two kiddos and we are enjoying the the new year at the beach so we we also have construction outside too I apologize ahead <laughs> time for that um, but definitely wanted to spend some time talking about this it's kind of a vacation like activity for us so um, the third theme was belief and we wanted to talk about um, how belief affected or it just seemed like belief kept coming up in this at least what stuck out to me um belief was um as it relates to a stuck point anyway belief is sort of she she would believe something that was just sort of not true um she was believing that it was her fault it was you know that she had waived uh it wouldn't have happened um and i thought that was interesting that she also would even have said a couple of times uh I know there's evidence that that's not true, um, but yet she still believed it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I just I just think that really sticks out to me as far as how uh, my spiritual life goes, but then also just how in life there are times where that I can see that happening where I'm. I'm holding on to a belief that's something I don't even want to believe necessarily, sure. but somehow it's there, you know. Um, I don't know. Did the belief seem to be a theme that stuck out to you? Well, I took it in a different direction because I know they didn't have any overt Christian um, premise for this. But I was just thinking with regard to us and the, her stuck points, how often we also get stuck in our childhood concepts of God and unconsciously shore them up. Because, you know, once we have it, we want to rationalize it and make it fit. Mm. And then when then they just crumble when we're challenged by either adult um, challenges and adult stresses or adult doubts. And we've done nothing to go and to cause ourselves to challenge those kindergarten concepts. You know, that they are kindergarten concepts. They, there's been no growth, no evolution in our understanding of who God is. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we get stuck because that concept of God doesn't fit our adult circumstances. And therefore, a lot of people become deconverted or get disappointed or disillusioned. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think you, you saying that makes me think, well, what's the process to make sure that we're 
noticing when that happens. Mm. I think there are so many people that go through life and they have a moment where a belief that they have is clashing with reality right? or a belief that they have is causing them pain or discord with their family or spouse or whatever it might be, but they don't know. They don't know to examine that belief. They don't know to even say that that is a belief. You know, there's like a lack of introspection there. Um, well, so I kind of want to, it's almost like I want to ask the question, what is it, what would it take for everybody to be able to apply that to say, where do my, where, where am I believing something that's not true? How do I right. know if I'm believing something that's not true? Um, my first thought would be, it is introspection that brings that about, right? Um, and that happens for this girl in a counseling session. Um, as Christians, where is that supposed to happen? I think that's probably in prayer, in time where you're quiet. Um, I saw, a, you know, this is a tweet, and but so it's probably you know short on uh, short on words, but. Um, I thought it was really interesting. It's, it was, uh, somebody said one of their New Year's goals was to uh, have times where they're bored with God. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> at first, I was like, "That's a weird goal to have," but I think I think what they were trying to say, or they were um, saying they wanted to do, which was have enough time where you're quiet and still with God that you're even even to the point of being bored. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think we're very afraid of being bored. And quiet and still, you know. Um, well, we're afraid of being open and honest. I don't know why. Right, you know, right, we know God right. knows our thoughts before we think them, but for some reason, it's really hard to get brutally naked, honest, mm-hmm. you know, with mm-hmm. God. And I think that's the first place to start. You're right, you know, with your own personal relationship. But I think we can do a better job in the Christian community, too, yeah. of encouraging those doubts to be spoken and those questions and not feeling like if I bring this up, they're going to think I'm a heretic. You know, so when your idea of who God is comes into conflict with your understanding of a good God, there ought to be a safe place to go in the Christian community to say, this doesn't fit, you know, yeah, yeah. and to talk about it. Yeah. And a future episode on this podcast, we're going to talk to um, a woman who's a leader in sober recovery at our church. And I think that sober recovery is a 12 step, step program centered around biblical principles. And, but they, they really effort to, uh, provide a place for people to be vulnerable and to be honest about what's oh, yeah, what they, hurts habits and hangups they have in their life. And I think that's a really valuable thing about that mm-hmm. place. Um, less pretense than normal. Um, but right now we're not good at that. And um, it's one of the things that predisposes your child if they grew up in a youth group to seek fellowship in college as if they were in a youth group that encouraged doubts or encouraged you to express your doubts. Yeah. So it's a predictor. Of, well, I think... You say you say we're bad at that, I th- and I think you're talking about the church or Christians. Yeah. yeah, I think that's true, but I really think it's true for Americans or even just Probably sort of Western not. culture right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not good at vulnerability. We're good at short snippets of our lives that we put on social media. We're good at hiding a lot of things. We're good at judging other people's whatever they put out. And we think think, we're protecting ourselves by that, but we're really enshrouding ourselves in those layers of misconceptions. Well, the reason I say that is like, what an amazing, beautiful opportunity for the church to be a place that's different in that way, that it's a created place for people to be able to be vulnerable and honest about this stuff. Um, And to be able to examine, Hey, I, something's out of tilt in my life. I, I say, uh, you know, the, the Paul, 
what you know what Paul said. I I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do, and I'm frustrated by that basically. You know, um, so I, I think that's cool. That's a cool example of this in this episode of of that tension between what you expect to be who you, part of who you are and what is really part of who you are, and trying to rectify those things and figure out is this healthy, is this right, is this reflecting truth, or is this reflecting mm-hmm. a lie. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say about belief is I really thought it was profound that her beliefs about what happened to her as a little girl affected her 20 some years later. Oh yeah. 30. That but what she believed about something radically affected her life. And I think sometimes I think about my faith and I think, yeah, I believe Jesus is who he said he was, but is that really belief if it doesn't affect? something about who I am, you know, is it, am I really believing that if that doesn't change little moments in my life and my day and and how I react to things, how I think about myself and that kind of stuff. And I I think maybe the answer isn't, is that's not belief. That's sort of intellectual engagement with an idea, you know? Yeah. I mean, James says that's dead faith. If if it doesn't result in a change and there's a, even a parable is not a parable until your life is illustrated. Even truth that is genuine truth can't be evidenced as truth to you or to anybody else until you're living it. And not just intellectually assenting to it, but living it. And yeah, I think that's... So she created the truth for her life from misconceptions. And she was allowed to redirect that. Right. I think you're right. I think our faith should change us radically in in the way we see people the way we react to any situation and how we choose to answer how do i show love to this person or how do i show love in this situation well and i think from knowing so from having some experience with uh working with clients with ptsd those negative beliefs or those stuck points that represent a belief that's untrue or a lie they they think about that belief daily it's not like they intentionally do, but they'll, so for example, this girl believed that, um, somehow this was her fault and then she's not in control. And that means that bad things are going to happen to her. She will see a guy looking at her on the subway in a weird way. And some part of her feels like there's danger there mm-hmm. because of that belief. And she'll think about that belief again. And, um, and that's a ne- this is the negative example of this, of how this affected her life, life negatively, even though she, and she believed these things really deeply. I think for us, belief needs to be, needs to be a, 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 like that too. It needs to come out of our, our lives just sort of naturally, you know, yes. that yes. when we see, I don't know, I don't know exactly the best way to translate that into a, into a positive belief that we would have about Jesus or. Well, um, and it's some of what James was talking about, about think about things that are um, of lovely and of good mm, report. Mm, she mm. was, she, uh, the filters were raised for her to see the world as a dangerous place. So she interpreted things that weren't dangerous as dangerous yeah. because that was her filter. Yeah. But once you interpret the, put a filter on of, of God is a good and loving God, you begin to see blessings and you begin to think about um, what he, his magnanimity towards you and you begin, it opens your eyes to things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah. So there's the reverse of that too, that, um, uh, I guess the new age movement calls it drawing things to yourself or, um, you know, you see what you expect to see, but there's some truth to it. You see what you expect to see. And if you can train yourself to begin to look for 
things that shore up your understanding of a good God, um, you know, and a generous God, you begin to see more of that. And then you begin to interpret what you are seeing as parental rather than spiteful. Yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah, and that trust that we talked about that was necessary for change for this girl is there between you and God who is not telling you all the answers, not telling you all the all of his plans he's not he's not giving you safety by saying you, here's how you can clearly see how everything's going to go and, and happen but he's given you that opportunity to trust him and to see the goodness through that trust i think kind of like you're saying which is cool well um thank you mom for talking about all this with me i really enjoyed it um if you're interested in checking out this podcast you can go to thisamericanlife.com um, obviously it's a podcast so you can pick it up on iTunes or on your favorite podcast um, app and again it's episode 682 with Jamie Lowe it's called title, or the name of the episode is called 10 Sessions um, so thanks again for listening head to anchor FM anchor.fm slash Maristem if you want to leave us a voicemail let us know if you've listened to the episode or you're inspired to do so we would love to hear what stuck out to you about it